0: This is Recorded Future, inside threat intelligence for cybersecurity.
1: Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us for episode 76 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Our guest today is Todd Beardsley, he's director of research at Rapid7, a cybersecurity company providing technology, services, and research to organizations around the world. Todd manages software vulnerability research efforts at Rapid7, he handles vulnerability disclosures, contributes to Rapid7's data science-driven research projects, and serves as primary spokesperson for Rapid7 on security and research topics in the media, which includes podcasts like this one. Todd shares his professional journey, his views on the challenges facing the cybersecurity industry, his take on threat intelligence... And his belief that as professionals, we share a responsibility for instilling our sense of passion for security in our friends and families. Stay with us.
0: I I was a a rapscallion uh, as a as a child. Um, I was I ran a uh, hacker BBS in the San Francisco Bay Area in the late '80s, and uh, kind of went from there. And I was more into phones than computers, which was ended up being a poor career choice later because phones all changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, all my Signal Seven stuff was useless. Uh, but now it's not anymore. I guess um, but people are using that uh, now today for for cell cell tracking and junk like that. But I guess my, I had a bunch of jobs in between, um, but I guess my first like real IT security job was at Dell in about 2000, 2001 or so, mm. uh, where uh, we sold a bunch of computers on the web. And uh, my, my job was to secure that. I was part of a team that, that ended up securing basically all of Dell's internet-facing assets. Um, because it was Dell, it was a very Microsoft-y shop. Um, so we were one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, like IIS-driven like websites. Um, so that was a blast. Everybody I knew was running Apache, but I got to deal with IIS. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so you you cut your security chops pretty quick in that in that kind of environment. Um, sure. I, all IIS, all Microsoft SQL back. It was it was a fun time. Um, from there, I jumped over to security proper, um, where I got a job at tipping point uh, many acquisitions ago it was an independent company and we made uh, intrusion prevention systems and so i did a lot of uh, research there uh like malware analysis you know exploit development uh, vulnerability research stuff like that uh through a, a series of fortunate events uh, i ended up here at rapid 7. i've been at rapid 7 now for gee, about eight and a half years
1: and And what is your day to day like there at Rapid seven? What are the types of things that uh, that you do there?
0: Um Well, I started here as kind of a, the tail end of the Metasploit acquisition. so i was I was into Metasploit. I liked Metasploit a lot, so i I showed up here and I worked on that for a while, um, eventually becoming the technical manager for the open source project. Um, but then since then i've I've now moved I, I I took a press release to the knee and now I'm in marketing. I used to be an engineer, but now Alas, I'm in marketing, um, and so uh, I now uh, help coordinate and write and produce and talk about um, all of the security research uh, we do here at Rapid7. Um, and so I work a lot on a project called the National Exposure Index, where we scan the whole internet looking for like common uh, exposures and uh, chunk that up into like country buckets, uh, and then publish that. We've been publishing that for. Three years. Uh, our fourth one will be this this next year. Um, the more recently, uh, we published uh, a work called "Under the Hoodie." Um, that was the, I believe, the second. Yeah, the second "Under the Hoodie" that we published. Um, and that's all about um, pen testing. Um, you know, what do penetration testers do? Like, what kind of vulnerabilities do they see on site? Um, Rapid Seven is a pretty decently sized uh, services organization, and so we're able to perform a couple hundred pen tests, um, that I have access to the the results to. And I you know, end up doing like this exit survey for, for pen testers and ask, well, so what happened? What'd you do? Um, and that's a really fun paper to work on. I'm real, I'm real happy to work with that because I, I've, you know, I, I've done some pen testing in my time and it's, it's real fun to, to hang out with pen testers because they're always breaking stuff. Uh, <laughs> and they always have like really good stories. And so I wanted to capture like, what does that mean? Like when they break stuff, like, Can I quantify that in a way that's like statistically sound? Um, And also I want to capture the stories. And so the under the hoodie paper, like really hits a sweet spot for me because it's both like science and statistics. And also we have like these kind of narrative uh, sidebar stories of like this one time on a pen test. Uh, So it's the kind of stories you will hear at, at, you know, bars at security conferences, which is great. So a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. I mean, it strikes me that um, not everyone on the marketing side of things has the technical background, the history that you do. Uh, How does that help with the marketing stuff that you do to have that history?
0: It is helpful. Um, I I think I'm able to kind of suss out, you know, what's real and what's kind of lame. Um, You know, when it comes to doing research projects um, and, and producing research, I have a pretty good sense of like, um, you know, what would be interesting? I, I have a good sense I think of, of Kind of figuring out what the audience is for a particular chunk of research like uh, The under the hoodie report for example, like really speaks directly to pen testers who maybe don't get access to a couple hundred Pen tests in a year. Maybe you know your most your busiest pen tester in the world is probably only gonna do maybe like 40 engagements given, given year. a um, So I think it's really useful for them um, but we can write it in such a way that um, we can talk to CISOs, we can talk to IT folks who are like maybe on the on on the on the pointy end of that of that penetration test to kind of explain like what actually is going on, what kind of value you get out of it. Um, when it comes to like vulnerabilities and exploits, um, you know, I have this Metasploit background, which is kind of nice, um, and so I'm able to kind of pretty quickly, I think, distill still out like. What does this mean for end users? What does it mean for IT people? What does it mean for, um, you know, vendors of this kind of stuff? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the, the technical background is, is certainly helpful and, and not, you know, we have, we have some technical people, for sure, uh, in our marketing department. And they, you know, they know what they're talking about. Um, but it's real helpful to have that, like, very quick kind of BS detector slash, like, hype detector. Like, oh, this is a big deal and no one's talking about it. We need to make this a bigger deal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean it's interesting. I you you add that level of I suppose authenticity uh to make sure that the uh, uh, you know the marketing message doesn't spin off in the wrong direction or or uh, amplify something that doesn't deserve it.
0: Yeah, and all the research we produce like I like to think is is real, right? It's not just like it, it's not fluffy marketing research. Um mm-hmm. you know, we don't do push polling. Um you know, the kind of research that we produce is is grounded in reality, has like real statistical significance. Um, you know, we're working on a project that we wanted to launch like in the middle of this year, uh, 2018. Um, but it looks like we're not going to be able to do it just because we don't have enough responses for it. And it's a cool project. Um, but if I only have 20 or 30 data points, this is not going to tell me anything useful. And so we have like, I, you know, I'm real happy that I work at Rapid7 because I have that kind of freedom to say like, well, you know, yes, we would love to produce this. But unfortunately, we don't have the data to support what we want to talk about. So we're going to have to wait to like, collect more data on that rapid seven has then said like yes if you that that's correct like let's do actual science not just not just marketing science
1: right now with with the view that you have on the industry on on the cybersecurity world I mean, what are the things that are top of mind for you in, in terms of the 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 main threats that we're facing these days
0: um i think for regular people which is which is everyone uh, except for this kind of rarefied industry of 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 a few hundred to a few thousand like security folks um, probably the number one thing, uh, the number one threat out there is is the simplest ones. it's It's the phishing email uh, where either you are directed to a fake website um, or you are tricked into downloading and running executable content. Like that's still a, a huge problem. Um, you know we've made like over the time that I've been in in security and just kind of IT in general, like we've made, we've made huge progress. On, on dealing with spam. Like Gmail has made spam really hard. But when it comes to phishing, um, the, that phishing problem is is persistent. Like we see that over and over again, you know, in the, in the kind of work that we do here at Rapid7, where like that tends to be like a, a, a very common kind of entry point into any enterprise is phishing. Um, of pretending to be somebody you're not, asking someone for a password, or, or just directly getting shells on their box. Um, that to me, that's kind of number one. We have to do better at that. We absolutely have to do better than that. Like I, I'm all into the shiny, right? Like I will talk about Spectre and Meltdown all day long. It's super interesting. Um, you know, all the speculative, um, <laughs> all, all the all the speculative stuff uh, in 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 those Intel bugs and other processors um, are are super fascinating. But that's not the problem that most people have to deal with. You know, most people have to deal with with
1: with with vision where do you sit on the spectrum of, of the solution to that being a technical solution versus a, a training solution
0: um, I think you need both obviously um, I do think that over the last probably two years ever since the uh, ever ever since the Democratic national committee chairman's mail got fished <laughs> in in a very splashy obvious mm-hmm. sort of way um, people got real aware of it um, i think I think people are at I think we're at a good good place uh, on awareness that we haven't really been at before. Um, and so I think now we could use some technical solutions. And one of those is, is getting rid of like these human memorable passwords. Um, mm-hmm. If if someone is phishing you and directing you to like a fake login site and you don't know your password, like it's impossible for you to accidentally give it up. Um, if you have some kind of password manager that is, you know, watching and validating the URLs, um, you know, it won't automatically sign in to the fake one. Um, you know, that's, that's just not how they work. And so you'll have to go like if, if you do fall for the, for the scam and you click on the link and you go to like the fake Google sign in page, um, you will have to take a lot of extra effort to enter it, like reauthenticate, you know, fake reauthenticate and log in. Um, I think that would go a, a, a super long way. I'm very interested in getting people out of the habit of having human memorable passwords. Cause that's, you know, we see that come up in pen test reports all the times, where like password spraying still works. Like, if I guess a, a common password that I've seen on many other sites, I have a good shot at at guessing correctly on this site for at least one or two users. Hmm. Um, and so, like, that will help against phishing. It'll help against just kind of like general security problems. Um, you know, so like getting out of this, getting getting these human squishy human brains out of out of the password generation pipeline is is I think super important.
1: But also, I, I mean, I think there's this notion in a lot of organizations to kind of shame the users when they when they make mistakes. You know, you'll hear people you know, say, "This this job would be great if it weren't for all those darn users." <laughs> right. Um, and I, I I I don't find that to be helpful. What What yeah. is your take on that?
0: Right. And I want to get I I want to get people out of the business of of dreaming up their own passwords. Right. So I don't have to shame them anymore. If you're mm. picking dumb passwords, like I can't blame you for that you know, people don't generally talk about how they come up with passwords just like in conversation because it's secret. And so everyone comes across like a a, a scheme or a, a system for generating passwords where, wherever they go. Um, and they, you know, they tend to think they're very clever, um, but they don't understand that they, they have rediscovered the same, uh, you know, generation patterns and the password generation systems that everyone else is using. Mm. And so you end up with people Thinking they're very clever by using the password autumn twenty eighteen exclamation point because they can change it every ninety days. It has letters and numbers. It has uh, special characters. Um, and if that's your password and you're listening right now, please change it <laughs> because you are not the first one to come up with this pattern. Um, Hold on a
1: second, Todd. I got to go change my <laughs> password.
0: <laughs> yep, um, it's a great password and it's a very clever scheme that that rarely is talked about. Um, and so, like I. I any time I have a microphone, I will talk about autumn twenty eighteen excellent point. Um it's my favorite password. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that if we get so I, so it's not really a shame. I, I'm trying to get the user like out of the path of like the shame hose, right? Like I want to make that someone else's problem. I want to make that security engineering's problem. You're not responsible for the your own passwords. Like everyone should be using password managers. Um, You know, I'm a little sketchy on like the browser-based password management, um, but like a standalone password uh, management system, I use KeePass and I've been using it for years and years. I know it's not for everybody, um, but there are a bunches out there. There's LastPass, there's Password1, there's there's loads. Um, And really all of them are better than your brain.
1: I want to talk about uh, threat intelligence, which is the, uh-huh. the common thread in, in our show here, and I want to get your take on it. Uh, I mean, where do you think threat intelligence fits in in an, in an organization's uh, efforts to defend themselves? I would
0: say that uh, picking up threat intel feeds is real useful once you've already hit the basics, right? Once you already have kind of your your basic act together, if you if you feel like you're in a good position with your password management, with your asset management um with your with your password management um and your network segmentation so like hit those four check boxes first uh once you once you've hit that then it's it's more useful to start talking about threat intelligence feeds um you know obviously if you if you're using these feeds like you have to have someone like look at them um and so it's going to be there there is some there's some costs there's some like upfront costs if you've never done it before um but once you get in once you like kind of go down that path and get a sim or Get, like user behavior analytics or something along those lines, um, then for sure like it's it's super duper useful because now you're able to see like what other security organizations are seeing. And then we have this like whole sharing backend um, where we can kind of trade around our in- indicators of compromise and we can see like what are the patterns that are emerging like out in the real world. Um, and and so I, I think they're they're useful once you've hit kind of that like level two level three kind of maturity.
1: And do you have any tips for folks who who might be beginning their journey of shopping around for threat intelligence providers, the sorts of things that, that they should look for and uh, ways to align that to their own needs?
0: Uh, I don't know. Buy Rapid7s. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I mean, we have pretty good ones. Uh, but like, I think that... It, I, I don't know. Like, I, Yeah, I'm terrible at marketing, by the way. I don't know yeah. why.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I won't tell your boss.
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, she knows. Uh, <laughs> um i I think that like once you start going down that path like tried and true solution you know best of breed kind of stuff like won't steer you wrong you know it's real easy to kind of overbuy on this stuff and then you end up after a month of just like a machine that goes paying all the time like it's it's real easy to get alert fatigue on a lot of these things Hmm. um if you're dealing with a vendor who doesn't have like a good sense of like your capability to tune this kind of stuff like that can be a problem um, you know, you want to you want to be able to kind of come in uh, to your to your enterprise with a threat, you know, with some kind of threat intelligence solution that like actually fits with like your workflow, your skill set, like how many people you have to, and how many hours you can actually devote to it. Like being realistic about that. I mean, I kind of say the same thing about penetration testing. Like penetration testing is great, and actually, you must do it. Um, depending on your industry. Um, but you have a lot of you have a lot of flexibility in guessing and in, in kind of figuring out like what do you want out of your pen test, like beyond the checkbox. Like, do you want to what what do you want to prove to your like CFO so you can shake free new, more budget, right? As a as a security folks, um, and I think you can do the same thing with with uh, a threat intelligence. Like, if you keep seeing the same kind of indicators of compromise, where it tends to be like people opening email and like running things with Word macros. Like, you know, don't just like sit there and admire that problem like actually try to you know go down that training but like turn that into something actionable you can do in training. Off, off the top of my head best advice you can do for, yeah. uh, for shopping for this kind of stuff.
1: Now, I mean switching gears and getting back to, to some more broad topics. Um is there anything in cybersecurity that you feel isn't getting the attention it deserves? Is there anything that you feel uh people aren't uh, focusing on when they should be?
0: I think security folks, in particular, are very guilty of a, of, of kind of moving from shiny to shiny. Um, you know, going from o day to O-day uh, tends to be, you know, it's just so entertaining <laughs> to to do that, and right. it makes you feel super smart when you you know understand something new. Um, you know, kind of addressing these fundamentals of, of you know, real basic things like is you you know do you have like a reasonable level of like cryptography throughout your organization um, i think the internal crypt, like the inter, the encrypted internal network is something that you know kind of gets some hand wavy uh, it, it gets hand waved at right um, you know i really like the the zero trust networking model um, or you just assume that you know there are bad actors inside your network, so why not crypto all the things? like we're living a different time than we did twenty years ago, hmm. uh, where like your bandwidth constraints are are much looser, your drive constraints are much looser you, you know everyone's moved to the cloud already, so like you kind of have to crypt- encrypt all of that stuff anyway um and so why not just like extend that you know you know backwards back into your own network you know like when we see things like Uh, you know, like a lack of SMB signing in a Windows network, which by the way, is every network. And we see that come up over and over and over again on, on engagements, on assessments, like, even when we like come in as like, with like with products, right? Like, if we have a product that talks SMB, and you don't do SMB signing, then we have to like, kind of go out of our way to avoid that. You know, that's the kind of thing where it tells me like, we still have this notion, we still have this kind of outdated notion of like, there is an inside and an outside. And that's just like, that's evaporating, right? I mean, we have mobile devices that move from, you know, network to network. Uh, we have farmed out a lot of what used to be internal to some cloud provider. Um, and so why not just go, you know, take that next step and just encrypt encrypt all the things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, dot, dot JPEG. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think you go, you go a long way. And I want to normalize that too, right? Like I do, I think it's, I think it's um, uh, a little naive to think that, you know, if you have something that is that has a TCP IP stack, like it won't eventually end up on the Internet, even you know, by accident, um, because the I stands for Internet in TCP IP. Um, and so if you are already encrypting by default, you you've made that kind of like just passive monitoring threat, man in the middle stuff like you made that so much harder.
1: Do you feel as though as an industry we're, we're gaining ground on the problem or are, are we are we treading water? Where do you think we stand?
0: things are so much more secure today <laughs> than they used to be. Like yeah. I, I am, I'm now, I'm, I'm rapidly entering into like old man territory uh, when it comes <laughs> to this kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, I remember when, you know, we had like be- before the days of NAT, you know, like without network address translation, like you had one computer in your house um, that talked on the internet. It was straight shot. And people were doing s all the time mm-hmm. uh, over the internet. It was, a, it, was, it was a security disaster looking back at it. Um, it's it's shocking that it all kept running um, but now we have nat um, pretty much everywhere uh, it's like the best accidental security uh, solution that we've ever come up come across because you get like firewalling for free. You don't get to talk to clients uh, unless they talk to you first um, and so I do think that things are significantly more secure um, you know ios is is easily uh, the the most secure operating system that general, like normal people interact with on a daily basis. Um, Android's getting better, uh, but iOS is number one. Um, and so I do think that we're in, a, we're, in an, we're in a good position compared to, I don't know, 10 years ago for sure, easily five years ago.
1: Yeah.
0: If you're a security professional, um, I think it's incumbent upon you to help people, you know, do that one extra security thing. Um, you know, it's, it, we're recording this here in the end of September, which means that it's almost holiday season. Uh, mm. <laughs> uh apparently holiday season lasts, you know, five months in the US, but, <laughs> um, you're likely to run into family members and friends that you haven't seen in a while. And, you know, maybe have that conversation about password management, have that conversation about like, well, who do you share your accounts with? You know, even just basic stuff like that. Um, and try to like, you know, do, do your own kind of grassroots evangelizing. Uh, for you know security for security principles that that at least you care about um, because you know almost everyone I meet in security is like super passionate about it um, and so rather than like you know just being glum and saying that the users are dumb and it's a, doing things like I just said it's a miracle everything still runs go out and like take that passion and you know infect other people with security news. like that's that's probably the, the, the best thing you can do at, uh, just on an individual basis
1: our thanks to Todd Beardsley from Rapid7 for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by Pratt Street Media with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.